Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is Pablo Saboleta. This is Troy Dini. This is Kevin Phillips. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to the big interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So, go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. Hello, it's your host, it's Graham. Welcome back to The Big Interview. My bet is that the vast majority of big interviews you listen to are with footballers or coaches whose names you recognise. I'll forgive you for not knowing Ali Dick quite so well, but I promise you this is a must-listen. Maverick, brilliant winger. Scott, Spurs, Ajax. The reason you don't know Ali's name quite so well is that his short career at Spurs and Ajax was punctuated by really debilitating injuries, which forced him away from elite football as young as 23. Nevertheless, by 23, he'd won a couple of European trophies at each of these great clubs, and Ali's talent burned really brightly every time he stepped onto a pitch. He was adored by the fans. The second part of this interview focuses on his time at Ajax, where Johan Cruyff signed him from Spurs, and all the big names were there, and therefore... They are here. Arnold Muren, Van Basten, Reichardt, Bergkamp, the De Boer twins, Koeman. Ali more than held his own in that esteemed company of world-class football players. If you've enjoyed, if you've even thrilled to the way Ajax have lit up this season's Champions League, then let Ali Dick take you back to where it didn't, not when it began, but to the guy who was in at the beginning, working for Johan Cruyff, sharing a birthday with Johan Cruyff, and working with these extraordinary footballers when Back in the 80s, Ajax were building towards what would be a series of European titles, Dutch domination, and footballers who would make Holland European champions. Ali Dick is our guide, and he was a brilliant footballer. Enjoy part two. It's hard for me to try and explain to our listenership the, the beauty 
the, the, the romance of Ajax because for me, and, and my first mem- my, well, my first sort of falling head over heels in love memory is just slightly before 74 World Cup, mm-hmm. which is what you said in our little in- introduction. But, but it's still Cruyff right. because the, the, the really few games you had on the television then included the European Cup final and they won consecutively three times. And, yeah. and also, I'm not sure that I watched all of them in uh, colour and for some reason... I don't even think they're in colour. I'm not so sure mm. you're right. But branded in my mind somehow is the old Ajax red and white yep. strip, which is very different from what it is mm. now. It was like two giant white strips and one red down the middle. Mm. And somehow or other, somebody in my neighbourhood when we were growing up had one. Right. And it just looked unbelievable. There are certain strips that are truly iconic. And even if somebody else has got the same black and white stripes as you... It's for example, it's always Juve. It's not yeah. not County or whatever. And that was one of those strips. So, but if you try and explain when when the leaving of Spurs is 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 a bit unfair and it's sore because you've you've been injured and Chrissy Wardle's coming in, another guest on this series who could play a bit. Mm-hmm. But if you know, in those days, John Craig didn't phone up and say, "Do you want to come out and play?" I can I I can't remember who phoned me, but if it was him, I would have remembered. So. It wasn't him that phoned. Can we say it was? Because if you don't remember, I say think what you want, but I honestly can't remember. If you don't remember, remember, I think we can say that it was. I can't remember. Also, he's the type of guy who could have glided into a phone call and glided out, and you never knew who was there. I remember when a guy, a guy phoned up with this funny Dutch accent. And it was I, your hand then. I thought it was my mate. Till I clicked, I thought, oh, jeez, oh. And uh, as, you, as you see, one of the things, the strip's classy. You know, that beautiful strip. The, the, one, the first thing, I, when I went there, you're expecting... Like you've been to Parkhead, you've been to Tottenham, you've been to Arsenal, all these stadiums. Massive, massive. Every time we train with Tottenham, there's maybe 50 guys, youth team, reserves. You go to Ajax, tiny little stadium and a little housing estate. Trained, there's only like 19 professionals. Nobody else trains with Ajax. Is Ajax. The rest are all part-timers coming at night time. 19 players, the little stadium, tucked away in the housing estate. It's kind of underwhelming. You, you, you think it was... Europeans won the European Cup three times, Johan Cruyff. And even when I went there, Van Basten, I knew him, but he, he wasn't as known. He wasn't Marco, the Marco Van Basten, the Frank Reichard, Royal Koeman. These names were kind of pretty much un- unknown. First went there, I was kind of like, hmm, it's not Tottenham. And I've not got the big fancy stadium. The stadium was only a little stand, like kind of 20 deep. I, th- I kind of thought it was a training stadium or something, because the, the training fields are awful. Were they quite open? I, I seem to remember that they weren't all that fenced off and there was certainly there's, I've seen lots of footage of Johan arriving at training on a bicycle and you know uh, you know, it looked like a, not quite a public park but not far off it it was the, the, the training fields there were like three all joined in together they were terrible condition for the whole three years I was there it was just shocking it was a, the stadium changed there for your training pitches were there and the games were there as well and it was all small compact beautiful the pitch was lovely on the, mere, on the actual f- yeah the, the, the pitch itself was immaculate but the stadium was tiny but when it was full it was great atmosphere but just small and the first thing I thought was jeez it's not Tottenham it's, it's the, the Ajax name is the thing that's big and anywhere you go you, you can kind of feel it uh, obviously Cruyff gives that a lot of kind of gravitas with, with his background but they've got such a big name somebody asked me last week did you feel like you were going to a bigger club and when I first arrived there I, I felt like I was going to a, like a non-league team or something it was so small when I thought geez is this it but given that you know when we, when we began you talked about seeing that 
outrageous Clockwork Orange side of 74 Holland starring Rensenbrink and Naiskins and, and Cruyff and Wim Janssen, all these kind of wonderful footballers. But Johan stood out and, and then suddenly he's your coach. Because at that stage, he's only been coaching a season. Mm-hmm. He's only been in charge one season. He's retired from Ajax. They wouldn't pay him. He goes to Feyenoord to stick it up and plays them for yeah. a season. Wins the cup, wins the league. Player of the season, aged about 36 or 37. Yeah. He's had one coaching season with Ajax. And quite a volatile season before he signs you. You are part of his rebuilding of Ajax. So I'd imagine that when you come along, he'd have paid quite close attention to you. I suppose what I'd really like to know is what your first impressions of him were, what his behaviour was like, whether it felt a little bit overwhelming to be in his presence or not. A, a couple of years previous, Tottenham had played Feyenoord and he was he played at White Hart Lane. So he, he wasn't that long finished playing. The, the fact that he'd only coached for one year, that, that was irrelevant. Everybody knew Cruyff had a football brain. He knew what he was doing just a matter of time before he shone. I, I, I didn't think to myself at the time, as you say, I'm pretty much unknown about Ajax going over there. I didn't realise he was kind of building a, a team. I, I knew Marco van Basten and Johnny van Skip, basically for the, the youth team playing against Holland. I kind of knew them to say hello to him. I knew, knew them that way. I didn't realise Marco was this next big superstar. Found it very quickly, right enough. It, it wasn't long before he realised the kind of lay of the land. Over in Holland... Everybody knew about Marco and Frank Rijkaard and Ronald Koeman. But over in this country, there's still pretty much unknown at the time. There was no Dutch football. I, I could play a game over there. Nobody would know here. It wasn't like, oh, on Sky, the bit coming under, played a game. So you felt you were kind of going off the radar. You, you felt like you were kind of off the mainstream English football thing where everybody knows each other, everybody knows what's going on. I'd kind of jump ship. Uh, and I don't know if you would have considered yourself then as an inside forward or a winger. But certainly, when you played wide, you're, mm-hmm. you're, like Steve Archibald told me, there are certain players in my career where I'm still waiting for their cross today. Mm-hmm. But he said, Ali's range of distribution, he said, it was a bit like having Hoddle on the left wing. Presumably, the first thing you look to do is to, to find Van Basten, because Van Basten then is their, is their nine. Mm-hmm. And Ajax were playing in their numbered system then. It was a 4-3-3, I guess. Yep. And you'd have been the 11. Yep. And therefore, the first thing you do to show your worth or to connect with the team, I presume, is to look for Marco van Basten's head. Probably. Or have I got that wrong? No, no. You, you, this reminded me of a wee story. I, the first time I went there, we played little. I played three games in a, in a trot. Cruyff gave you an opportunity and said, come and show yourself. Is that right? Yeah. He said, we've got three games. I want you to come across. We'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll see you. You'll see us. We'll see if we like each other and we'll see what happens. So I went over, played the first game. I remember I got changed. I was kind of looking forward to it. I, I didn't know this guy was Frank Reich. I didn't know this guy. But he says, look, it's going to be a, a lot of attacking. He says, but when you get the ball, he says, don't always look to cross it to the far post and the near post. He says, look to cut it back a lot, which is an unusual thing. So during the game, went past, I cut three or four balls back, hard into the, the, the D. And this little blonde guy came up at it every time. Poof. Poof. Top corner. Top corner. And I remember after, after the game, I said, that little blonde guy can play, eh? <laughs> and didn't, didn't realise it was Ronald Koeman. But in the space of the two, three games I played, I think he scored about eight goals, all from the outside of the boat, all in the top corner. Most of which served up by his new friendly Scott. On the it made me look good. <laughs> it made me look great. Or maybe you'd made it easy for him. Let's, well, let's be big about this. It was, it was an easy game. It was against these like lower division teams. And it was kind of, they weren't the best. It was, they gave you a chance to kind of show. And it was perfect for me. And you've got Marco van Basten, you've got Johnny Bosman up front. Bosman was another good centre forward. Yeah, he was fantastic in the air as well. And 
you've got Ronald Koeman. Jeez, it was a pleasure. And as I say, they, they made me look good. For those who never saw Marco play or Ronald play and now only know of them because of mm. record books or pictures or Koeman the manager, describe seeing Marco van Basten as an Ajax, fellow Ajax player for the first time. Describe what he looked like, sounded like, behaved like. Draw a wee picture of Marco van Basten. If you, if you walked into a, Dutch, a typical Dutch changing room, it was very quiet. An English changing room, there's a lot of vibes, a lot of guys shouting and swearing and vibing up. Dutch changing room's totally different. Marco was a kind of exception. He was a bit more like the English type player. He was a bit more talkative, a bit more having a, a few laughs and things like that. Very tall, big, big guy. I don't think people realise he, he looked tall and thin, but he was a big, strong boy. And the one thing I always remember about every game with Ajax didn't matter how much pressure you were under. It didn't matter how tough the game was. If you knew, if you could get that ball to Marco, even if he was up there on his own, he would slow it down. He would let everybody catch their breath. Everybody could get up. Everybody could regroup. In the meantime, he's maybe turned, took two guys on and scored. But he would always do something. And it was like when I when I played in my under fourteen school games, I was head and shoulders above anybody. So it was like give Ali the ball, give Ali the ball. Marco was like that in professional football. No matter who you played, give Marco the ball and he can do it. It's almost like if, if, as if he was playing against schoolboys. It's an astonishing description. You, you said it that to me, watching him in the, in the little, still relatively little television clips you could see then, apart from international games, he did seem tall. Maybe not slender, but I wouldn't have said necessarily he was built. Yet that, what you've described now, where the ball would go in, if it was at his feet, because he, he didn't look like a rocket. But if you let him turn... He was fast. Yeah. He'd just go away from maybe two, three players. He had those big long legs, deceptive. Same with Glenn Hoddle. He didn't, it wasn't fast, but he had those big long legs. One shimmy of the body, and he's five yards away from you. And Marco, it doesn't matter where in the box he was, how he received the ball, in the air, right foot, left foot. He always thought, we've got a chance here. And the amount of times he scored goals from situations you thought man how did he do that how has this happened and it did that it reminded me of when I played when I was a schoolboy. you could take guys on and you think oh, I'll take the three of them on he would do that but against uh, the best in the world and as, uh, exactly the, the best in the world and he'd do it every week he had a fiery I don't know if you ever saw evidence of this but Johan's written about how they had a fiery relationship with each other it's almost as if Johan poked him. He wanted more out of him. He wanted to be maybe meaner. I don't know quite. It wasn't all buddy-buddy between the two of them. I think anything that went on, it was probably just to encourage him to do better because they were very... They were very Marco was definitely his blue-eyed boy. Is that right? Which was tough because Cruyff never gave away a lot of love. No. He wasn't the, the easiest guy to go on with and he was very matter-of-fact, very blunt. I, I probably missed out on a lot because he was maybe talking Dutch and I wouldn't kind of pick up on the vibe but he, they definitely got on him, Marco, Johnny Van Skip a bit closer than the rest of them mm. and if he said anything he said there was a meaning behind it Cruyff, Cruyff never opened his mouth with it, some deep thinking philosophy behind it that, that was the type of guy he'd do he'd, he'd say something to you and walk away and leave you with it so like, think about that and you think, what is that? so sometimes it didn't mean anything but you think well it must mean <laughs> something but he, he's, he's the way of explaining things on the field were just very matter of fact very simple, do this, do that, bum, bum, and walk away. You think, geez, it makes it sound so easy. And for him, maybe it, it just came so easy. What was your relationship with him? As I said, he wasn't a guy who was... Not touchy-feeling. No, he wasn't putting his arm around you, he's, come on, I, it was not that type of guy, he was kind of man management, not not my style. I, I, liked, I liked to be kind of looked after, encouraged, pretty cold, pretty calculated. That's what I want you to do. 
that's what we want you to do it. If you don't do it, you don't play, but so get on with it. And I see you've got the, the language barrier as well. I was only young, so it's not as if I, used, uh, I would go, I had the confidence to go up and say, oh, 74 World Cup, talk me through it. Nothing like that. <laughs> it's, it's very, very rare that you would get in a situation where you would just be sitting next to them and you could have a chat. Uh, there was always somebody around them, there was always something going on. So it, it wasn't it wasn't very buddy buddy like or nothing. Another thing that is I'm inquisitive about is that of the the three that eventually moved to to Milan, Rude wasn't in your side, mm. but Frank and, and Marco were. I, I often believe that Rijkaard's the one that gets the least quality analysis as a footballer. He's probably the one that's most underestimated, and you can see why because in each of their ways there was a point where Marco or Rude Hulot were number one player in the world mm-hmm. and, and, and dominant. But Rijkaard was pretty extraordinary footballer, also a stroppy guy. And he told me once, when he was a Barca manager, I interviewed him at length. And we talk, I was really obsessed with sort of street football in Amsterdam and that's the, the idea of playing on the cobbles, mm. about how aggressive it was, about how skilled it was. And he said, yeah, we would play street football, say 6v6 or 8v8 on the street. And he said, then when the teams, one team had won, one team had lost, the best player in the losing team, the best player in the winning team went one and one against the other. And he just looked at me and he went, and it was kill or be killed. Uh, I thought, I like that attitude. And is that describing the front record you, you saw? It's a kind of good analogy of Ajax itself. When I first went there, training, first week of training, you expect Ajax, Holland, Cruyff, you expect it to all be ticky-tacky, ticky-ticky. Not at all. This was get your shin pads on, get your ankle strappings on, roll your socks up. Training was 100%. There was no easy days. There was no let's have a wee five-a-side, you go and goals out. None of that. Every day was dog-eat-dog. And because you've done it every day, when it comes to a game, these guys, they're ready. That's all they do. Cruyff had a a thing where when you went to training, the, the first thing you do at training is get tired. He would get the fitness coach, take you away for half an hour, he'd run your arse off. You would run, 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 and you're like, jeez, I've got a game in tomorrow. you keep on running, you'd be knackered. And then you go, right, you'd get handed over to Cruyff and you'd coach. Because he says, if you play a game, you're always tired. So you have to train when you're tired. So there was not one training session that didn't start off with a full-on 100% I'm going to kill you run. And Frank, Frank... He was super fit. Frank was, Marco was big. Frank Reichard, his thighs were like tree trunks. Beast. He was a, a beast of a guy. You, you're saying he was kind of stroppy. I, I got on very well with him. He, I thought he was a kind of similar, kind of Englishy type player. He, he wanted to have a laugh. He put buckets of water above the shower door for you coming in. Kept himself to himself, but he was he was strong. He was athletic. Again, deceptive because he was big. You've got Marco up front. You've got him in the middle. Solid, solid through. The, the middle of the, the field. And he was a great. I, I love Frank. He was one of my favorites. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, ninety-six percent replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a thirty-night guarantee. Plus, get fifteen percent off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's nobody on this planet, including his remaining family, who adores Cruyff more than I do. Any of the Ajax sides where I think he probably had three coaches, different coaches leading him to the... He hated being worked hard. He used to skive mm. off, hide in the woods, nick a fly fag. Mm. The last thing he did in the world was run at training. And he's he still never ran. He was great at training. Uh, keep keep ball. He could still tell he was a great player. I know he rubbed Frank up the wrong way. Even in Dutch, you could kind of see rolling his eyes a few times. Frank had had his ideas, and he, I think he was just getting annoyed that it was Cruyff's way or no way. And he was a super fit guy. I always we done that beep test. I always remember that he outlasted the beep, and at the end of it, he wasn't even sweating. I remember I sat next to him on a cycle when doing a cycle test. I gave up after ten minutes. He just kept going and he kept going and he kept going. He, he was just a, a huge man, great guy to have in your team. Every time he was in your team, you thought again, you got Marco, you've got him, you've got a chance. It's it's good. Well, in that case, it's good that you got on with him. I, I think because if you I got on very, well. I, I know what you mean by saying the. Because in the end, he buggered off to Zaragoza. If you think back mm. in his career. He went right up here to Ajax, Zaragoza. Aye. He only spent a season and then went to Milan and, and did what he did. And, and was. A, I, I think, in European terms, he's a true modern great as a footballer. But if I, if I talk about that, there were spells you mentioned jo- Johnny Bosman, um, Van Skip, um, you mentioned Marco, but Bergkamp was coming through, Aaron Vinter was coming through, um, Nuren was still there. Arnold was great. Ronald and Frank. Well, you, <laughs> Apart from the word about Arnold was great, you smiled. Mm. Why? I, I used to get changed every every morning. I used to get changed, and it was me, Arnold Muir, and Marco von Basten. Because Ronald Koeman had left, he had number the number eight shirt. So I got his peg in the changing room. So I was number eight, which was me, Arnold Muir, and Marco von Basten. See, at the time you don't think it. At the time it, it doesn't. You're there. No, you're you're there to do the job, and that. But to be a left-sided player, left-winger, Arnold Muir is the perfect man to have behind you. Why? He just, nothing fancy, get it. He goes, Al, I'm going to give it to you. And that's what he done. Got the ball turned, give it to me. Got the ball turned, give it to me. So people, Every time. People who've forgotten about him, just, just tell us a little bit. Because he's come through, you know, the Dutch school. Bobby Robson spots him mm-hmm. and Franz Tyson takes him to Ipswich. They win a European trophy at Ipswich. And, he, and he's come back to Ajax. And presumably, for you, bedding in, as still a relative youngster, mm-hmm. he speaks probably better English than the majority of the rest of the squad. He's, yeah. He lived in, in the British culture. He knew the British vibe. He knew the way He knew the way I would approach a game. He kind of made me very much at home. He used to bring in the English papers for me. He knew a lot of guys that I knew. And to play with them, he was, he was just so calm, fit as a fiddle. He was 36 at the time, but fit as a fiddle. He could run up 
down all day long. Technically, he was great as well. He was kind of slow, but technically he was very gifted and he would just never lose the ball. And you knew if Arnold got it, you were getting it next. Nothing fancy. He wasn't looking for these killer balls. Give it to Al. It's funny you say about slow. My memory of watching him, okay, maybe particularly at Man United Nipswich, was that the world stood still around him. Mm-hmm. It was as if... It makes everybody look like they're... Yeah, that's exactly what... And he was still the same. He, he kind of never moved fast, but you never got near him. And if you did get near him, he would just kind of glide away from that's you. As gorgeous, if he was on, isn't it? That's a gorgeous talent. I, as if he was on coasters, it was, it was weird. <laughs> you thought, I don't know how he does that. And he, he was old, but he was one of the fittest guys there. Mm. Just an all-round nice guy. So I've named some names that, that you were you having to compete with or play with. Uh, Vinter, went, I mean, Vinter maybe is a more you know pragmatic talent, but you know he had a great career. Cruyff tried to sign him subsequently mm-hmm. for Football Club Barcelona. It, it didn't happen. Who have we? Who should we talk to, talk about that we've that we've missed? Stanley Menzo would have been the principal goalkeeper, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you dropped the names of the board twins and, and Bergkamp was emerging. Again, the, the first day I, I signed with Ajax, I signed on the same day as Danny Blunt Oof. and Jan Vouters. God, uh. So the three of us signed the same day. Mm-hmm. I stayed in the same hotel as Danny Blunt for a long time. kind of knew him pretty well. That was the, the kind of team. It was only the second year. Now and again, Dennis would come in for training, as I say. That he was about a year younger than me. And if, if you're not in the first team, you're not in the first team, you just don't train. You come in at night time train with a different team. And he was a right winger at the time. Mm. So some games we'd play in the reserves, I'd be left wing, he'd be right wing. Uh, very nice guy, I got on well with Dennis. When you talk about Stanley Menzo, that was one of the first things I realised. When I got there, Stanley wasn't a goalkeeper. Stanley was a sweeper. That's how we used to work it out. So any time we pushed up the field, Stanley would come right up the field with us. So if the ball got knocked over the defence, it, it wasn't... The defenders so those, Stanley's ball. So for those who just bought your dummy, he actually was the goalkeeper, but he played like a sweeper. He, when he came to the tactics, he, he was. We spoke to him as if he was a as sweeper. A, a six, say for example. Yeah. No, not a, not a six in the Ajax system. I, I suppose a five or a. Man, a, yeah, a five or a libero. Yeah. He would play deep. Had you ever seen deep. that before? You, I almost think you, you almost can't have seen that before. It wasn't a done thing in England. It was no. Get the ball, humph it up the park, or get back think, in your goal. I think if a keeper had come to the edge of his penalty box, he'd have been, he'd have been, it'd have been a war crime. And he was very, f- Ferrari. Exactly, and he was very comfortable with his, his feet. Yeah. If you got it, if somebody rushed him, he wouldn't panic, he wouldn't grow, he would just sidestep, look, look to play it out. That, that was a kind of new thing. And from that, that's where everything started. Because so literally, if, if, if the ball comes long, and you's a, you're all quite, because you would have probably held either a 3-4-3 or a 4-3-3 formation, I would imagine, mm-hmm. under Croy for Ajax. But Stanley would have been so high up that if he traps the ball and takes it down, he literally then is beginning the game again as an out-and-out sweeper. He wouldn't panic. Keepers like to give the ball away and get right back in their goal. He wouldn't panic. If he had to go right, had to go left, he would, and then play it out from the back without any kind of hassle, without anybody kind of panicking. So that, that, was, that was a new thing. That was pretty radical at the time. But it kind of seemed obvious. He was very comfortable with his feet right enough. And I just thought, well, it's because he's good with his feet. I know they try to do it as much as they can now, but they're still not... Stanley was great at it. He was fantastic at it. Everything, a, lot of the, a lot of the play started off from him. You've, again, with some gestures, you demonstrated with gestures because even if you're a keeper who's very good with your feet, it, it, it's also about your mentality. You, mm. you have to be ice cold up here. If you're on your own and, and maybe you're back four or you're back three, haven't moved properly to give you the out ball... Mm. You are still getting charged by one or two, 
and, and you might be technically good, but you have to be ice cold up in your brain to handle that, and evidently Stanley was. The Dutch guys, and there's one thing I noticed as well, even with the youngsters, we used to watch these the little kids come in and train at the window, especially the Amsterdammers, especially <laughs> the guys that played with Ajax. They've got this self-confidence that every football player should have. You need, you need confidence, but these guys, I thought, are these, are these guys like that because they're with Ajax, or is this... Chicken and egg, as I expect them, because they're like that. Ah, exactly. They're, they're just, they had this confidence. And when we used to go to a game, I remember walking in and getting every game, I felt like we were already 1-0 up because they, they exuded this Ajax vibe, invincible, we know we're good, we are good, we're going to show you we're good. Not in an arrogant way, border not an arrogant, but they had this self-confidence that was, if you're a football player, it's, it's a must. And it's a, it's, a kind of, it's a tough thing to tell somebody, but everybody seemed to have it. Even the kids, they come in and train, and I look at the kids, I thought, even the shitbags have got this <laughs> cocky arrogance on the ball. And then I remember the two De Boer twins came to start training. They were only young. They weren't sitting at the back taking it easy. They were loud, they were up front, they were directed thing. I thought, what's going on here? They never changed. They were just, as I say, they came across very arrogant, very cocksure of themselves. But everybody at Ajax did. Everybody that walked through the doors, they had this kind of self-belief. One of the things you have to avoid in my industry is that stories get retold and retold and retold so that they come a groove in the ground and it's just so... What, what was this sort of inner sanctum? Cryf phones soonest, soonest phones Cryf. Ali Dick moves mm. to... What's the truth of that? You know what? I, I, I don't even remember where I heard that. I was, I'd been at Ajax maybe six months, but somebody told me, very matter-of-fact, oh, the reason you're here is Ajax wanted to sign David Cooper. I had just been asked, as soon as they'd phoned me, looking to sign me for Rangers, a lot of problems with me being going to the wrong school and things like that. Parenthesis, would you have gone? No, I never got to that stage. I, I would have been the first Catholic. This was like two years before Mo Johnson, so it's kind of doubtful if it would have came about. But uh, he, he was already thinking about it. And the story, again, I don't know where he had it from. He wanted to sign David Cooper as his left-sided player. As soon as he's, I'm not, I'm not selling him, but I've got a guy we've just been trying to sign. You should take a look at him because we can't get him. And that's how I ended up there. It's a good way to get there. Sounds believable. In that case, let's just say it's a definite truth. It sounds believable. You win your second European medal. And although the, the experience in Greece... Olympiacos is, is where the injury comes, I think. I, it was, uh, I think it was the second or third round. We played, who did we play? I can't remember, I think we played Dundalk or something. We you played did, someday. yeah, you beat them well. And then we played Olympiacos. I got injured and almost made the final. I was about a month short of the final. So I would have definitely played at some point, I'm sure. As a game, we didn't have big squads. If I, hadn't, if I hadn't got injured in the first place, I was as I was a first-team regular. It was only then they kind of brought in other guys to cover. So if I wasn't playing, I would have definitely came on at some point. Be a part of the campaign. You know, well, you... as I say, Ajax, you, you're there or you're not there. There's, there's no... Let's say there's got a squad of 20. That's a squad of 20. They don't chop and change it. Only if somebody gets injured, they'll bring somebody else in. But that is the squad that goes all the way through, which is different from England. England, you take from anybody for the youth team, the reserves... You could pick anybody. Ajax had this kind of 20 guys, five coaches, so it was intense, and that was the way. It was always the same kind of boys, the same team, the same thing. So I would, I would, uh, I'd like to think I would have started the game. But that's your, that's your medal nonetheless, and you've got an experience of what it's like uh, then in Demer and, and Ajax for them to win a European trophy. Was there a sense still, because Ajax, that, you know, when you're winning it, it's, it's only... Ooh, 
10, 12 years after the last European Cup. Mm. It's not a massive... Were they like, yeah, this is what we do, we win European trophies? Or was there an unleashing of relief around those that support the club in the city? You know, uh, we've got one. I know that when we played the earlier rounds, we expected to get to the final. That's an Ajax thing, you just expect to win every game. It was a diff- different vibe, a different way of approaching things. The, the lead-up to games in England, there was a great vibe. Before before a game in a change room, everybody's hype or everybody's up. In Holland, it's quiet. No sit, read the programme. You won't come in an hour before the game, you'll come in three hours before the game. They have to have this build-up. They slowly build themselves up to a game. England, you can switch on like that. You can go watch, I know the guys used to watch the racing. They'd watch the, the quarter to two, race at Kempton, finish, they'd come down at, at two, and they'd switch on. Holland had never done that. Holland, you would, for a game that started at four o'clock, you'd come in at 12 and you'd sit. And you'd read them, and it was like just Boring. different. And everything they had, they had to have this build-up, a slow build-up. It wasn't all dynamic. And the, again, the celebrations a wee bit the same. It kind of wasn't all kind of crazy, kind of controlled. It was uh, done with thought. You know, they were they were way talking about your, your pre-match meal and your after-dinner care, after games, drinking water rather than drinking beer. They, they were, were already they ahead, were were they? Already doing that. Uh, three four days before a game, they weren't drinking alcohol. They were drinking fizzy water. They were eating pasta a couple of days before a game, and I'm like, "Geez, all right, I'm not going to do it, but go for it." Good they, they, they were way way ahead of us. I suspect it'll be different if they um, disappoint you by beating Spurs in this Champions League semi final. I suspect the atmosphere will be so different because for a long time now, it's it, it's felt obvious that Ajax would just about maybe with Celtic, I don't know, be the premium club that the traditionalists would argue if the Champions League has left these two behind, mm. these two iconic clubs, each of whom has lifted the Celtic had two mm. finals, Ajax won four times. If the Champions League has left these two clubs behind, then something's wrong, I think is what people would have felt. And now Ajax have, I think, shocked, maybe even themselves, by the way in which they beat Real Madrid, mm. you know, which is knocking in four at the Bernabeu, and then knocking out aside, a lot of people might have put Juventus because of the repeat triumph in um, Italy, Ronaldo being added, mm. good defence, albeit one of them was missing against that. They've shocked people. So I think it'll go absolutely crazy in Amsterdam if they win this time. Since I was there, it's, it's all changed. As I say, there was, not, there was none of this TV hype that kind of got everything going a week before the game and talking about players. There was none of that. It was so much different. I actually used to the big games you'd play at the Olympic Stadium. Mm-hmm. So you'd play the home games that were small crowds at the, the Bear. Then you'd play at the Olympic Stadium it was kind of big and open. There weren't massive crowds and the hype just wasn't like it is nowadays. Ajax are still a small they're not they're even you mentioned them the Celtic. You go to Celtic and you look at Celtic. Massive Ajax still they keep things tight. If you, I was there a few years ago. This was in the arena now. You've been. This is in the arena now, but still, the the staff, the people working for Ajax, there's not dozens and dozens of them. There's a very small handful of people organising things. They just do it very well. They do it their way, and they do it with, with a very very small squad. They get the pick of all the best players in Holland, no doubt. And once you get them, they. they Put this academy system in place. I still think of it as a small club. It's, it's not. I understand. It's not a big corporate giant. It's not ah, massive in marketing. No, it doesn't just, feel like walking into a mega not organization. At all, not at all. They just, the things are very kind of compact. They do it very, very well. 
they have got the pick of all the players in Holland right enough, which is a big boost. They don't have, obviously they've got competitors, but they, they seem to get the best players. They do, and I, I don't know, because it, it might be you haven't had the time to, to, to watch them too closely this season. Mm, no. Maybe you've seen bits and pieces. Not much, not much. But like, the, the idea, is it, does it attract you the fact that, you know, long before he died, Johan went back and fought for control of Ajax mm-hmm. with Louis van Gaal, went to court and installed van der Sar as, as the sort of general manager and Bergkamp he put in and Vim Jonk and mm. Davids who, who went away. But he also put in Overmars as the sort of market mm. manager, the transfer market manager. And now, and, and Ten Hag was kind of, the, the current coach was kind of instructed by Johan in, in, his, in his latter months. Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't it feel different to you, good to you, that what we're seeing now, the fact that um, Frankie de Jong is, is a massive talent who's going to go to Barcelona, as Johan did. De Ligt, mm-hmm. the centre-half, is going to go to Barcelona. They've revitalised players like Tadic, who didn't quite make it, and then Neres. There's a whole list of names. It does feel like it's not just a romantic story, you know, the Johan Cruyff club. Johan Cruyff's influence mm. is really strongly there because he repopulated the club with the, his ideas and people that would mm. enact his ideas. You can always feel them. Anywhere you go in Amsterdam, anything you buy, Cruyff is lingering in the background. Always. His name always comes up in conversation. His thought process, the things he does, it's always going to be there. And you can't kind of separate the two of them now. I think things go in waves. Football countries, places, teams, they have little waves and I think now Ajax are on a crest of a wave. Again, I think it may be last and then it'll die down again. There'll be no great Dutch players for because a while. Their the, the players are going to be sold off, so it will, you know. And the, one thing about Ajax, they know they're a feeder club. They, they know they're a club that are going to sell on, they'll nurture youngsters and they'll sell them on. There's no qualms about that. They do it, they do it very well and it doesn't matter if you're 66 or 16, they think you're good enough, they'll get you in the first team, they'll give you that experience, and they'll give you the, the experience of being the captain, mm. of playing big games, big stage, and they'll, they'll give it to all the youngsters, mm. and they'll bring these guys on very, very quickly. And it doesn't matter what age you are, they, you're kind of right in the deep end right away. Okay, one more from Bet365. Yes, our lovely supportive sponsor. In part one, we asked you to pick the player you take from the Tottenham team, to play in this year's Champions League semi-final against the Ajax, and you chose Glenn Hoddle. This time, we're flipping it. Which teammate from your time with Ajax would you put in the current team to face Spurs? And I want, and I want Ajax to win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't you, choose the third choice keeper. You can't go any further than Marco van Basten. The guy's head and shoulders above anything these days. They talk about Mo Salah and pff, no chance. Marco Van Basten's a hundred times better than these guys. He's got so much more. If we popped him in any team, he'd make the team better. It's a good choice in Hoddle and Van Basten. I don't think anybody anywhere is going to argue no. with you. No, it's a, it's a no-brainer, that one. Well, it's been a pleasure. Um, I, I hope the two games that we're going to watch live up to your chat. You've described we... your fellow players well. <clears throat> You've given a warmth to the football that I watched and loved when I was growing up, but from even though there wasn't non you know wall to wall coverage then of me being able to watch you, our country had an extraordinary talent in in the things that you could do. I think you should maybe be a little bit more bullish about it because it's all true. It's not my style. Well, you've got style. Pleasure. Nice one. Thank you for joining us for season twenty eighteen nineteen. 
We've got huge creative plans for the months ahead, but we do need your help to make them happen. Please go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and become a social, become a paying member and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. Last season, socios listened to nine exclusive big interviews including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, Roberto Di Matteo and loads of me talking about football. The Premier League, the Champions League, Spanish football. I'm sure they enjoyed it and you will too. Support us, join us. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 